welcome. Welcome to episode 28 of the Off Kilter podcast. Now, you'll hear me introduce the episode as episode 25. And for those of you who know me, you know that I'm not really a numbers gal. So, and I'm more of a big picture kind of girl. So I got the episode number wrong. Not the first time, but that's totally cool. Uh, So it's actually episode 28 and it is with a beautiful human that I connected with late last year through the Body Peace Conference, which is run by Body Brave Canada. And her name is Anina and Anina is a substance use and eating disorder counselor in Toronto. And I named today's episode the one powerful question that can help you get unstuck. Uh, Anita and I first connected in the Body Peace Conference. She was the facilitator for my panel that I was on. And the session was called Eating Disorder Sensitivity for Movement Professionals. So Anita facilitated that and then we connected via social media And I love her work. I love her approach. She is just a shining light who is full of knowledge and wisdom. And so today we sat down and Anina talked about her work as a counselor in the eating disorder and substance use space. She shared her history with an eating disorder and substance abuse, her recovery and her why for the work that she does now in this space. She shares what solution-focused dialogue is, uh, which is super cool and super interesting. I'd never heard of, uh, heard of it before. And it's a type of therapy that really concentrates on finding solutions in the present time, so right now, uh, and exploring what one hopes for the future. Uh, to look at this resolution of this problem that someone's struggling with right now. So we work through an example of it. uh, And my biggest takeaway from this episode is this powerful question. And one of the most powerful questions you can ask yourself is, when I felt good, strong, confident, well, sexy, you can insert any positive feeling, What was going well for me? And I really like this as it shifts away from the negative to look at what was going on in my life that helped me feel this way. So I often ask uh, most of the females that I work with, when you feel well or strong or confident, what are you doing? And now do more of that. Also in the episode today, we talk about the diet industry, intuitive eating, how to work through negative thoughts about your weight, and why eating regularly will help you feel well. We chat about so much more. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, So let's do this. This is episode 28, the one powerful question that can help you get unstuck with Anina. This is the Off Kilter Podcast. It is about breaking rules, listening to your ovaries, and coloring outside of the lines. Each week, we will connect and be in conversation about how to reignite your sexuality, feel powerfully graceful, and deeply connected to your body, all while navigating life 
I am your teacher, Amy Kate Bo. I want to value your time. Okay, this is episode 25 of the Off Kilter podcast with Anina. Uh, and Anina and I first connected last year through a body peace conference that Body Brave Canada was hosting. And Anina was the facilitator for my panel in the session, which was on eating disorder sensitivity for movement professionals. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, Anina. Thank you so much, Amy. I really appreciate being here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited to uh, connect and speak with you today. Uh, I would love, I love to start my podcast with your why. So sure. starting off by uh, saying like what you do now and then looking at how, how did you get there? Like what's your why behind the work that you do? Totally. So I'm an eating disorder and substance use counselor in Toronto, Ontario in private practice. So I work with people, mostly women, um, between like 25 and 45, but sometimes younger, sometimes older, um, in person or remotely via video counseling, who, are, who have decided that they want to make positive change to uh, their behaviors, right? And that's... Um, completely on their own account. So there's no goals that I'm following with clients. Um, we're working on whatever the person comes in with. And uh, yeah, trying to just help change patterns, right? Um, how did I get into it? I had my own eating disorder and my own binge drinking phase, uh, unhealthy relationship with alcohol, I would say, and kind of came out um, at the other end and uh, really thought, okay, there's not really anyone you know, who specializes in that intersection, even though we know that, you know, every other woman who struggles with um, binge drinking has body image issues and every other person with an eating disorder, particularly bulimia, has gone through phases of, you know, um, unhealthy drinking, right? So that's kind of how I got into it. And I love it. <laughs> um, and that's not... Uh, there's not a big body of research for that. And I didn't actually know that, that this correlation mm -hmm. between like, they're so can be so closely paired. Yes, absolutely. You know, and I think like when we look at kind of substance use, right. Or addiction as some people call it, um, the working definition that I go on is we look at addiction as a biopsychosocial phenomenon with elements of oppression and I find that oppressive piece just doesn't get mentioned enough. And I actually also find that there's a lot of many parallels between, you know, eating disorders and substance use in that regard, right? Because a lot of the time when we develop an eating disorder, there's part of us that's not feeling free or that can't be free due to, you know, whatever setting we're in, right? And obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, um, diet mentality and fat shaming and fat phobia and, you know, thin privilege and all of that stuff, right? That's part of it. Yeah. So when you talk about the oppressive piece, what do you mean by that? I mean, it really could be anything, right? But uh, as women, I think in general, right? Like we're immediately oppressed. Um, you can see that, you know, on through examples as simple as we're still not making a dollar, right? Where guys make a dollar. <laughs> So, and then, you know, obviously 
there's stuff about safety in public and, you know, just violence against women. And I mean, we all know it. I feel like there's like a long, long list of ways in which, you know, we're truly oppressed in day to day. Yeah. Um, so that, and then of course, you know, if you're a member of, a, of another community, right? If you're, if you're a person of color, if you are, um, you know, gender fluid, if you're part of the LGBTQ community, otherwise, you know, whatever it may be, right? There's so many ways in which we are not accepted as free people. Yeah. So uh, can you tell us a little bit uh, about like your story uh, around like your struggle with like an eating disorder and then uh, kind of how, how you like landed in, in this space. So I know you saw a gap that, uh, Mm -hmm. that there wasn't really this like combination, uh, but like, can you talk to us a little bit about your journey, like your recovery journey, what you found helpful? uh, Yeah. Why you kind of became really interested in this uh, area. Sure. I mean, when I had my eating disorder, so I developed it quite early around like the age of 12. Um, and it was kind of on and off the struggle until my early 20s, I would say like, you know, 10, 12 years kind of with phases where it was a little bit better and then phases where it was worse. Um, and I should probably also mention I'm 36 now. So this is like long behind me already as well. Yeah. Um, but um well, I mean, I, at the time, I just knew like both my parents are, you know, my mom's a family therapist, my, my dad is a, or stepdad is a psychoanalyst, right? So I definitely knew that what I was doing was not kind of well, right? I was not well, like I couldn't concentrate anymore. I didn't sleep well. I felt really depressed and I just knew something was off. And so I asked them to send me to therapy <laughs> for <laughs> For concentration issues, right? Like, like, oh, I can't keep up with school, which was not actually true. But like, you know, it it just, yeah, problems, right? So because I came from that environment, they were very supportive. And I started seeing a therapist. And that was not that helpful, you know. Um, But that was just the first stint, really. Because I ended up doing something like a total of, I don't know how many, probably literally like 10 years of therapy, right? Over, Over the course of my life, probably even more. Um, and so, you know, I once wrote a blog post actually, (laughs) I think it was, it was called like how I beat bulimia, like one therapist at a time, because it literally, (laughs) you know, like took me like four or five therapists, you know, um, but, um, it's a process, right? So there's just so much learning. And at the time, you know, there was like, feminism was not a thing. I mean, obviously there were already people pushing it, but you know, in a, in a more or less kind of bourgeois, like typical home, like this is not really, and I'm sure like my mom would have always identified as a feminist, you know, but, but it, it wasn't really talked about. Like we weren't one of those households where it's like a, a full out feminist environment in that sense. Right. Um, so I had no idea, you know, and then eventually I stumbled into yoga, which really helped. So the combination of doing some online activism back home in Germany at the time, um, with, you know, feminist bloggers. I, I ran a feminist blog for a while, then doing the yoga and just kind of also coming to understand that the way that I was living my life kind of looked fun, but ultimately was really harmful, right? Like I was kind of bouncing around, doing whatever, you know, and, and at one point I, I think I came to the question, you know, why am I doing this to myself? Like I'm miserable, like what's happening, you know? And that was a turning point. Um, yeah. 
but it was definitely a lot of therapy, right? I don't think, I think it's possible to spontaneously recover from eating disorders as it is possible to spontaneously recover from anything. But I, but I believe that, you know, for most people, there's a very dedicated effort involved that, you know, really requires you to make, to keep making the pro recovery choice, even when it is really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of things that I really love, uh, uh, when you were speaking that it's a process. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like all those years, those 10 years, it's, yeah. it's you learning and picking up tools and, you know, something's exactly. helpful. And then maybe you find out what's not helpful and, yeah. you know, it's a learning and it's a failing and it's, it's, it's such a process. Uh, and then the second thing is, that I really like the last bit that you just said is that you can spontaneously, like one day you can just wake up and something can shift. And, you know, whether that's the smallest thing or like a a thing that really impacts uh, you or maybe someone close to you and it's possible, but in that it's also like support. Yeah. Yeah. Even with that spontaneous shift, it's like, you need someone on your team. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know what? I'm glad you mentioned it because a lot of the time what seems spontaneous really is not that spontaneous, right? So it seems spontaneous in that particular moment, but there probably was a buildup of many years of thinking about it, right? Of kind of knowing like this isn't working. I don't quite know what to do with it, you know, um, kind of mulling it around, right? And then eventually one day being like, I've had it. That's it, right? Yeah. But I think I really truly think, you know, also when we're thinking of the phases and the time it takes to recover and stuff like that, things that are helpful at one point do not necessarily need to be helpful throughout, right? So I mentioned yoga and I mean, my yoga, like currently I'm still completely turned off of it because I had a really bad experience with, you know, Ashtanga yoga that became a very domineering kind of thing in my life that I, that I also felt was oppressive at some point, right? So. Yeah. And I often talk about this, especially with training or with um, Mm -hmm. movement Um, and we can call it movement. And I love the word movement as a big umbrella, but often uh, sometimes it's not speaking people's language. So I use the word training just as a very neutral uh, and, you know, it is training, but it's also movement. And I often look at this, like, what's your why? Because Mm -hmm. like doing Ashtanga, totally fine. Yeah. Going for a run, totally fine it's so it's great but if your why is just because you want to get out in nature or you want to connect with your body or you enjoy like that is coming from this place of love and abundance and yes but if it's you know to get the outcome or to get the result or to get the number on the watch that says this many calories burned that it's coming from this place of fear or scarcity. So um, yeah, I like that you bring that up with yoga. It's that it came like it started off, Hey, this is this cool thing and I really enjoy it. And Oh, look at all, this is really hard. And then can you talk a little bit about that experience? Sure. You know, like I think also, you know, to, to kind of as a little preliminary message as well, you know, it's such a slippery slope, right? Like particularly when you're coming from the body image or, you know, eating disorder kind of corner, um, 
Well, how did it go? I mean, I started out, you know, with actually Shivananda yoga, which is, I don't know if you're familiar, it's like a little bit more of a kind of hippie version where it's all pretty chill and like everything. (laughs) It's not a cult, but it's kind of like a group, you know? So, so I was doing that for a little while and they start you out with like headstand, I think, you know, so you're, you're going into the space and you're like, oh my God, this is really challenging in a very interesting way because it's actually not the way that I experienced it at the time where I was, it was not about how you looked or like what you were able to do so much as it was. I mean, I know I said headstand, but it was really about like kind of overcoming those mental blocks that keep you from doing that. Obviously it was all like safe and assisted and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. But then eventually, you know, physically demanding, like it was not that much, right. It wasn't, it wasn't that like exhausting. It wasn't really a workout. Um, and at the time, I was still very much looking for that physical kind of, I guess, I don't even know what, like just the, the movement, right? The, the the outlet, I guess I would call it, right? Like, just, yeah. so, um, so I started doing other types of yoga, like power yoga, a little bit at home and stuff. And then my boyfriend at the time went somewhere in Eastern Europe and he found an Ashtanga studio and he actually called me from wherever he was. I think it was Zagreb, but I'm not totally sure. So he calls me from there and he's like, Anina, I found this thing. Like, you're going to love it. You have to try this. And so we, we went and, and found, you know, an Ishtanga studio in Berlin, which was run very, very well and very, very differently. I will say this from the experience that I described previously, whereas like this just went to shit. Sorry for swearing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love oh, seriously. It was so bad. Right. Like, so it was all good. And then I found this teacher online who was Toronto based. And uh, he was teaching a workshop in Stockholm and I was like really into it. It seemed, you know, it just seemed so good. Went to the workshop in Stockholm, was amazing and found out there that he had, you know, a six weeks, a six week program in Toronto where he could learn more about it. So, and it basically, you know, learn like it wasn't really a teacher training, but it was kind of similar. And I thought like, Hey, well, you know, I had just been laid off with a package, like time and money. Nice. You know? Why, why don't I do that? And I mean, you know, the, the nice part about it is I met my husband there, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not like it was for nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, nothing is ever for nothing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, you know, like what I really came to understand is like the kind of authoritarian and very, um, very much like repetitive strain, like um, kind of top-down approach like that is traditional ashtanga yoga and it took me a while you know to really understand that but i walked away with injuries and you know i wasn't the only one either um it it was really more in the dynamics because everybody's like oh you know this is spiritual practice it's not about how you look and so forth but then you find it creeps into your you know if you're not a vegan and obviously again this is a huge red flag for people with eating disorder backgrounds right yeah <laughs> if you're not a vegan like you're not doing it right you know if you're not practicing in the morning you're not doing it right if you're hanging out with people who don't uh, observe moon days you're not doing it right you know if blah 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 right and the list the more you did it became longer and longer and longer and longer and i think like at one point i did it just out of curiosity you know I was looking up like, a this is after I had left there, right? And I was like looking up a checklist of like elements of cults, right? And like, uh-huh. it literally hit like eight out of 10. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, like, what was I doing? You know, and obviously it became very competitive and very much about how you looked. And, you know, like, 
yeah, I don't know. So, and I'm not saying it's like that everywhere. I, I do want to, I do want to say that too, but I, but I think there is this tendency, you know, like where I also tell my clients, you know, if you're going into a workout environment, like think about why people are there. Is this a body image space? Yeah. Right. Are people trying, are people there because they want to lose weight or are people there because they want to step into their power or because they want to, you know, whatever Tai Chi or Kung Fu, you know, because they want to do something, gain some control over their mental activity or like, what is everybody there to do? Like look around. Right. Yeah. Um, That's, that is so powerful. And I've been in the, the fitness industry (laughs) for like 12 years now. And if you look at it, it is from coming from this place and it's not the individual's fault. It's like oh, no. our society. It's the culture that we've created around, you know, the, the language and what, like why we're in these places. And it's only Absolutely. over the last couple of years uh, that we are actually having places that are just about movement. It's yes. about coming together as a tribe, learning to do some cool stuff with your body, to connect, to connect yes. with those around you it's a positive space it's not about the outcome or the result sure they're like they can work towards a skill and that's totally cool I think Mm -hmm. to have a goal to want to be able to do something absolutely great but you're in these spaces that are so much they're safe and they're about community and about working together it's not about what I often call like the sexy yeah like going to like you know these sexy spaces just to take like the photo or sure. to, to burn the calories or it's all about body image and no one has any clothes on hardly. And like, that's not a safe space for a lot of women. No. And many practitioners are not aware, you know, and I mean like my husband, he's a yoga teacher, right? And he, he was a yoga teacher before I met him. He's still doing that. He's been doing that for 15 years or something. And it's really been, you know, like since we've got, come together that he's uh, like developed a more, a deeper understanding of these issues right and he says like the more i know about this like the 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 less i can unsee it it's everywhere you know and now you know when people come to him and you know basically say like what do you think i should eat you know like he's very fit looking because he just works out a lot right uh, and he's like whatever you can like eat as much as you can <laughs> <laughs> and and just things like that where it's like you know whoa like People are so, yeah, you know, so disordered a lot of the time in those spaces that they're not aware. Yeah. And they're leaning into these people that uh, have their own biases and own worldviews around like ways of eating or ways of training. And then they're there and they're like, you know, they're like the leader or the person that's like teaching. And so obviously the students or the people that are coming to their classes are, if they look a certain way, then they get super curious and they're coming in with this worldview around certain ways to eat and train and what they believe and there's not this like openness and there's not the space to really to dig deep with these you know these people that are struggling uh and they often shouldn't (laughs) yeah and you know i think the key word that you used there was believe right it's what they believe it's not what they are trained to do (laughs) or to advise on and that is something that i always run into right with my clients we're like 
old person so and so who has absolutely no training in this department has been telling like professional training i mean right like has told me that you know quite likely um i should eat less sugar or my, my problems with my gut are because uh i was fed sugar when i was or antibiotics <laughs> you know when i was a kid or something like that where i'm like okay like you know what i would really be curious about is like go get a second opinion from somebody who understands what they're actually talking about you know and fact check the statement like is this true we don't like i don't know you know like it doesn't sound to be perfectly honest to me it doesn't sound very plausible but i mean who knows right like it's just this quasi religious attitude and it it totally has to do with the cult around certain people right that are building an online following or you know like green smoothie galore you know what i yeah. mean okay like listen people you know that's also a matter of privilege not everybody can afford green smoothies and it is not a balanced diet to live on raw vegetables right like so there there's so much kind of caught up around like i'm the better person when i eat a certain way and that's just not true yeah and it's i call it like this this background noise this constant noise this inflow of information whether it's like media whether it's people's opinions and we're always, someone's always telling us like, this is what I did and this is what happened to me or people yeah. see it on social media and like, and then they're just, they're like paralyzed. So many of the women that come to see me are, have like, for like decades been like bombarded with this background noise and they just have no idea what to do. They're so disconnected from their body because they've been listening to all these other ways for so long and been trying all these things that they don't even know anymore, like what their body wants. And I think, and I'd love to dive into like the work that you do, like you do solution focused dialogue uh, right. and maybe let's take uh, we could do a little bit of a role play or a case study on, yeah. uh, on something. So you can give us an understanding of like what you do um, with Salute. So do you want to explain what that is? Yeah, basically it's, um, it's a bit of a different kind of counseling approach or coaching approach where the focus is more on the future and kind of what's already working currently for you that is you know, directing you towards that future versus in quote unquote conventional therapy, where a lot of the talk is around, you know, oh, this went wrong. I have this problem. You know, this has been really difficult for me for such a long time. So you kind of get into all the dark spaces with, you know, and that's, there's something to be said for that, right? Like it can be very interesting. I just think that it's not necessarily always necessary <laughs> um, in order to make positive change, right? So like you can learn a lot about yourself in those contexts and, um, yeah, it can be, it can be amazing if that's what you're looking for. But I think if you're really wanting to make change, I think solution focused dialogue is a really good tool to kind of laser focus you on, you know, what am I, what am I doing? Right. Why do I want to do this? And I'm totally happy to have a quick dialogue. The important thing would be that it's not actually a role play in the sense of a made up thing. Like it would have to be something that you're actually thinking about. So it doesn't have to be something that, you know, is like a 10 out of 10 on, on the kind of, private scale right yeah. you don't want to know your deepest darkest secret um and it shouldn't be like totally light either so like maybe pick something around four or five yeah i'd love to um so what's come up quite a lot in my work this week uh mm -hmm. is like this obsession with like the number 
getting to okay. a certain number. So mm-hmm. when I'm working with women, we're trying to find the feeling, yeah, okay. the connection to the body, learning about the body, feeling like whatever they want to feel, you know, if they want to feel confident or strong or, yeah. And a lot this week with some uh, of the women that I've been working with for years, it's just come back up again that they're like, they're still focused on this number, whether it's like a size on the clothes or, you know, they don't uh, weigh themselves. So Mm -hmm. it's generally this like clothing size. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd love for us to talk about, so this, this attachment to a number or like thinking that they will feel a certain way, like be happier or like sexier or more confident when they get to this. Can we do some solution focused dialogue with that? Totally. Tell me about a time when you had a conversation that kind of started out with a focus on, let's say, clothing size and that you navigated really well. And that ended up being about either something completely different at the end or that you just thought about yourself. Okay, like this was a kind of challenging moment for me because how do I how do I get this point across? Right. And then you got it across really well. Yeah. Um, Okay. so. Earlier this week, uh, we had a conversation around, uh, I was just getting curious about uh, some goals and stuff. And then what came through that was, I'm still not happy with where I'm at. Like I still want to be X size. Mm -hmm. And when I get to there, like I'll feel much better. Mm-hmm. And so I got super curious around that by saying, what happens if mm-hmm. it's not about like getting there? It's like right now, like how do you actually feel? So I got curious because that didn't come up. Yeah. It's that I want to get here. When I get here, I will feel but there was no recognition around the feeling now. And so when I dug deeper, she did feel strong. She Mm -hmm. did feel capable, Mm -hmm. but there was still this attachment to the number. So So when you were able to bring the conversation to the present moment rather than the future, that was really helpful for her. And she was actually able to recognize that she felt strong and good in the moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. What, what, how do you think did you manage to do that at that time to bring her back to the present? So over the years, I've learned that it's about asking good questions for me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just trying to get them to, to like kind of come to it. It's within them. Yeah. And right. it's, I think mm-hmm. it's just as a facilitator or me, it's just how I view my role in this is like, ask good questions, just get mm-hmm. curious about what mm-hmm. is the obstacle? Yeah. Like where, right. why do you want this? Um, and so I always just try and ask good questions. So for me, yeah. where it really went was like, you could get there, but at the detriment to what? Yeah, because you you have, you know, two young children, you have a growing family, you have a very big job, you have like, and she even said these things to me. So it's, it's, we kind of went there and that was helpful for her to see that it could be, you could get there for sure. We could all get wherever there is to us, but is it at the detriment to what? What are the areas of our life or our health? Um, And that was helpful for her to see that. Mm -hmm. 
she could get there, but then she questioned if she really wanted to, because what would she have to like go through and sacrifice? Mm-hmm. And she did actually feel strong and confident. Mm-hmm. So you noticed that when you're, when you're becoming curious with clients, not only do they kind of um, start to think about their goals in a different light, but they also really connect with you in a way that is helpful and meaningful to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So within your work with solution focused dialogue, uh, what like is it asking? Is it helping them so come back to this like this present you know moment and and getting curious and? I mean, it's really very similar. So the last three questions I asked you were essentially yeah. solution focused questions, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so and it's very much in when it comes to body image and things like that. Um, there's kind of two roads that I take, right? Like, and one is very similar to, or almost exactly the one that you took, which is uh, in, in my way of asking, you know, I would probably ask something around what difference would it make, right? Yeah. So like, suppose you were able to do that, but I think like with, and, and that's why I say I take two different roads because depending on where the person is at, like I don't necessarily want to put them into that headspace where they're envisioning, you know, whatever they think they need. But really, it would be around, okay, most of the time, and this is not a solution-focused approach, this is more of a, you know, counseling relapse prevention approach, which is the other slide that I'm talking about, is like, okay, what are you trying to cope with right now? You know, like, where is this thought coming up? And why do you think that this particular response, like, let's say exercising or engaging in disordered behaviors, or how is this... uh, you know, an an adequate response to the problem, which again, like similarly, you know, to what you're saying is like, what are you feeling right now? Right. It's, it's very similar really. Um, So to, to investigate a little bit also where that connection was made and that, you know, at a time, right. Like this was a useful coping strategy, but what we're trying to do here is learn patterns of behavior that are not ultimately self-destructive which I think is, is exactly what you're saying, because we all know that dieting only leads one way and that's like South and it's not going to be good, you know, like whatever, <laughs> you think, <laughs> whatever you think is going to get better after you did that. Right. It's a moving target as well, because you say, Oh, I want to lose this much. And then you do, and then you want to lose more and then you do. And all the while you're thinking, I'll be happier when I reach this goal. I'll be happier when I reach that goal. And what we know from experiences, you'll only feel worse. Right. Yeah. There's just no such thing. And so, yeah, you know, um, there's a lot of psychoeducation in the work that I do as well around, you know, the typical stuff. Diets don't work, you know, 95 out of 100 diets fail outright, right? The five that keep their weight down are actually doing so through means of disordered eating, overexercise, undereating, binge perch, you know, laxative abuse, whatever it may be, right? Like, so this is not a healthy kind of <laughs> um, way of, of keeping keeping your weight down, right? It's not possible. So when you, when you start a diet, you enter a weight cycling kind of pattern that will just ultimately put you through your body and your mind through so much stress that it would have just been easier to not get on that train in the first place, right? Yeah. (laughs) You're on the carousel and it never stops spinning. And it truly never stops spinning and it will, you will completely disintegrate and your life will fall apart. And I'm not trying to fear monger, right? Like this is what I, what I see in my practice every day, you're, you're, you're completely, you become more and more isolated, more and more detached from your family and friends, you become more and more unable to participate in what we would call normal life, because all of a sudden pizza is dangerous, you know, um, 
right? Like you can't go to the beach anymore. You can't do this. All your rules are usually arbitrary, right? There's yeah. <laughs> everybody has different diet rules. Yeah. You know, one person doesn't eat this. The other person doesn't eat that, right? Like one person's scared of this food. The other person's scared of that food. There's no reason or rhyme really yeah. behind it. Sorry, if, yeah. if um, say like I am, I'm really struggling with like this story that I'm telling myself in my mind, which is, you know, I need to lose X amount of weight or I need to lo- look this certain way for me. Yeah. Like I'll feel better or I'll feel mm. more confident or I'll feel happier. Like yeah. what are some, because like our story is so powerful. The story that we tell ourselves. Yeah. So often that's like the hardest one uh, to, yeah. you know, to, to work on and to change. What are some of the things that I could do to, to kind of help change my story? Right. I know having like, I know, you know, you need a, you need a team of people. So you mm-hmm. need someone that works in the space because we can't, we just can't by ourselves change a powerful story. But mm-hmm. if I'm having this thought that's coming up in my mind, mm-hmm. how, what is something that I could say to myself to help with that? Yeah. I mean, if you're by yourself, right? Like, I mean, one piece of advice that I generally give my clients is notice when things are going better, right? Like notice when you actually feel good about yourself and how come, or even if you don't feel good about yourself, like notice when you don't hate yourself quite as much, right? And what is different that day and how did that come about? Or, you know, when you think, oh, okay, you know, today, whatever, this outfit actually looks kind of cute on me, whatever it may be, right? Like, what's different that day and how did you influence that? So, you know, a lot of the time people are like, oh, you know, I felt better that day, but that was kind of coincidence. Like somebody else did something. It wasn't really in my kind of power. And I always question that because sure, circumstances change, but nevertheless, there's something about you that day that impacts very much what's happening, right? So to just start paying attention to that. I mean, if you're talking to somebody else, you know, I think like validating that need is also really good because it's understandable, right? We all want to feel better one way or another on, on any given day, right? It's just, again, to really look for, well, when you had that thought, you know, what was happening for you? Like, how did this come up? Like, are you trying to distract yourself from something, you know, where it's easier to like obsess about your looks than it is to actually, whatever, open your mail? You know what I mean? Like just making like a random, random example here. Um, But to kind of really pay attention to when does this come up and what do I think, what do I think does it do for me? Because I do think that all these behaviors and all of these thoughts have their, there is a good reason for why we do them. And sometimes, you know, it can be something like I do this because if I obsess over my hair, like I'm not going to cut myself, you know? And in that instance, I'm like, okay, great. You know, obsess over your hair all you want, because (laughs) that is in that sense, a harm reduction measure. Right. So then we just, again, have to look through conversation probably. And that's where it gets really hard to do it on your own. Then we have to look at, okay, like, and now let's figure out like how we can move you out of that negative space. Yeah. I really love uh, that you focus on what was going well. Because often we don't, we don't think about that. So in this moment, maybe 
when I had a good day or I felt, you know, strong or I felt well or I felt balanced or calm or I felt good or sexy. Like that's okay. You you know, that's so cool. Uh, to feel those things. I think we often shy away from anything to do with like the body image in the body image space Mm -hmm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, if you feel good and sexy, like what was else was going on? And I love that, that you bring that up because we don't often look at the whole picture. Yeah. Like definitely. You know, did I sleep well? Did I actually nourish my body? Did I like that day or did I have like a great conversation with my partner or did I, you know, yes, a walk that I really liked? Um, So true. And you know, you obviously know this better than me, but I'm going to put it out there nevertheless, you know, and it's all a bit of a, of a chain effect, right? And so much of it really truly starts with regular nutrition. So your mood (laughs) Is going to be like off the charts if you do not eat regularly, right? Like, and when we're talking about like eating disorder, and again, you correct me or add to it, obviously, because you're the expert here. But, you know, when we're thinking of eating disorder nourishment, really, it's like breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, snack, right? So there's a lot of food in your day in terms of frequency that people I, I don't usually kind of observe, you know, and every time I suggest like, I don't care what you eat, just start eating regularly. You know, they're like, oh, it made such a huge difference. I actually slept better, you know, and then all the other stuff kind of falls into place from there. Yeah. And it's not about particular, sorry, like, you know, in, in my experience, it's really not about particular foods, right? It's truly about signaling to the body that something is coming in and I'm not gonna starve you. You're fine, right? Yeah. It's, um, so when, uh, just for those of you who are listening, when someone is, uh, suffering an eating disorder and they are so clinically unwell, we call it restoration. So we actually have to physically restore them first, whether that's, you know, inpatient or outpatient, if they're so unwell, most of the time it's inpatient. And we actually have to physically restore them before we can actually work on their minds because they are, they just, you can't think, you can't focus, you can't process anything. Uh, The mind is not functioning. The blood sugar is so like all over the place. And so I love that Anina brings that up because this is what's happening. So many women are undernourishing themselves. All the time. Oh. <laughs> all the time and this is not even people who are who are in inpatient treatment right this is people who are like no i didn't i didn't have breakfast and then i ate whatever little thing and then i kind of skipped lunch because i was busy and then blah 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 and in the end my mood was just shit and like i don't know what's <laughs> happening you know like we're like okay like your brain is an organ just like all the other ones you know it needs regular nourishment it's not going to work if you want to feel less depressed and less anxious you have to eat. Yes. And this you is know. a big one. Yeah. That I do when I start working with women is this consistency of yeah, eating. We're exactly. not focusing on exactly what we're eating, exactly. but we're focusing on frequency. So we eat yeah. often and we're looking at this, this enough. Yeah. Like what yeah. is enough? What is enough for me? Uh, and that's how I work. I work in very consistent, very frequent eating. And I've always been that kind of eater. Like I'm so lucky I've never suffered from, you know, an eating disorder or disordered eating. I've like my sister did. I grew up, you know, in a household that 
we, that was always, we spoke about diets. We spoke, you know, there was some body shaming. There was always yeah. stuff about weight, shape and size, but Same here, yeah. I came from such an athletic background. And so I always viewed food, like food as fuel and I needed to eat because yeah. I did gymnastics and I danced and, and you yeah. had to, uh, but when I start working with women, it's this, we need to eat frequently because of our blood sugar. And if our blood sugar is all over the place, well, our mind can't function. Our body's not functioning. Therefore it's affecting our hormonal health. Our everything becomes, um, you know, chaotic. Yeah. And I'm fighting against this new craze, which is like the fasting craze, (laughs) the intermittent fasting. So (laughs) what do you think about fasting? Okay. Like, is that a question for me? No, no, no. This is oh, like yeah. what people will ask me. Oh, yeah, yeah. I no. know what you think about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, the problem with it is that people come and they're like, you know, I actually felt better when I did that, you know? And then you're like, okay, let's unpack this because, you know, there are many reasons for why that could be the case. And, and you know, two very important reasons could be, one, you finally feel in control over something, Right. Yeah. Two, you actually get compliments, even just a couple of days of doing that. If not for how your looks change, then for your willpower and ability to do that, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so their ability to do that in quotation marks, I will say, right? Like, um, and willpower too, because willpower is also nonsense, right? Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's just, <laughs> that's just quotation mark this entire segment. Um, but yeah, you know, so there's, there's many things that we're not really quite sure how they impact each other, right? And I, I, sometimes I compare it to like medications, right? You think you take a pill, and I'm all for like pain meds and stuff like that, like where they're appropriate, right? Don't, this is not a no, no pill taking thing at all. But I think what people don't understand is whatever you take, it, it affects your central nervous system. It does not just go to the spot in your head that is that is painful or, or whatever it may be, right? Like, and I have migraines. I take a lot of like headache medication I, I, more than I would like to. Um, but you know, it's always, it's always a full body experience. And so even when people kind of distinguish between the mind and the body, that's interesting, right? Because yeah. Today it's a package deal. Like, yeah, they're connected. They're, yeah, <laughs> right? like, so. yeah. yeah. There is, um, Yeah, there's just a lot of noise and that's how I like to describe it. And I really like your approach around, okay, so when I felt well, and I think that's an important word as well that I have to use, not healthy, not skinny, not whatever, just well. Yeah. Yeah, When I felt well and what is well for you? Yeah. (laughs) Is it feeling calmer? Is it feeling like balanced? Is it feeling stronger? Is it feeling capable? Is it being a good listener? Like whatever it looks like, what's going, what's going good in your, your life? What went well? And you know what, like on that note, quick jump back to like the whole size discussion and clothing sizes and stuff like that, right? Like, so there are two things that I, that I usually talk to clients about with one being, you know, okay, so if you want to feel, let's say sexier, right? Like, how can you do that in your current body as you are right now? What can you do to feel sexier without changing anything? Number two, you know, if you feel, if you feel anxious about your clothing sizes, like, are they too small? Like, do you need a winter coat that actually fits? Because when I have clients who are like, 
you know, like trying to like close their zipper and you're just literally trapped and you can't move. And it's so uncomfortable because you think you should fit into a particular size or whatever. Right. Yeah. It's obviously for some people really hard to acknowledge, like, you know what, I would actually feel much better if I sized up, but once they do, they, they literally take a breather and are like, Oh my God, it makes all the difference. I actually don't feel the need to change my body anymore because my clothes fit. Yeah. I feel comfortable (laughs) and that's a powerful thing. It really is. And we're so scared of that number that we don't actually let ourselves feel that even though it is readily available. Right. So, I mean, this is obviously, this sounds like a very quick fix for for a very deep problem. (laughs) But what what I want to say with that is, you know, there are little things, seemingly little things like that you can do that will greatly impact your quality of life positively. Yeah, it is. And I like that you say it's very, it's very complex. There's so many layers, like an onion. We have like our society and what's like normal or what's like, you know, okay or whatever, accepted. And then we have like our story. Yeah. Like our worldview, our like history uh, and what's impacted us. And then like, there's so many pieces to it that that's why we need support. We need someone on our team that can help us unpack those layers and work through that. But what you shared, I think that's really powerful because we're like in the moment. Yeah. Like when I'm, you know, when I'm struggling with something, I'll, I want to look at what's good. And then maybe I will get curious about when I don't feel so good. Like, why is that? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, you know, also with regards to the support real quick, right? Like there's always the concern around, well, this costs money. Like, can I afford to invest this money in myself and stuff like that? You know, but then I'm thinking about the damage that is done. You know, I had one client, um, who requires sliding scale. And she said, Oh, Anina, can you hook me up with like a nutritionist or an RD who, uh, you know, also offers sliding scale and who has a similar approach. And we tried and the first one was not available because it was out of state, whatever, long story short. Eventually she was like, Oh, I'll ask my local therapist because many of my clients actually come to me for disordered eating and subs and or substance use, but see a regular therapist kind of outside of our work, which is, I love, I think that's a really good setup. Um, but so she was like, okay, I'll, I'll ask, you know, that therapist for a referral to an insurance covered dietitian. And I was like, I really understand your situation, but you know, there's a huge danger with this because lots of people still say, you know, I treat eating disorders, but I also help people with weight loss. Yeah. <laughs> but you're like, like, you're not getting it lady. You know, like, yeah, they don't not, go in the same sentence. <laughs> they really don't. And so I think like even just navigating, finding the right provider when you're looking for support, because so much damage can be done when you, when you kind of stumble into someone's office who really doesn't know what they're talking about. It is not the same. (laughs) So I think I love that this field is growing and I just really want to like tell everyone out there who's looking for some kind of support, look for a non-diet practitioner, right? Health at every size um, with a bit of an understanding that, you know, you can't at the same time promote weight loss and treat in quotation marks eating disorders. So um, yeah, it's a big body. It's a big field now that's growing yes. um, within the within the psychology space and with it within the dietitian space. Yes. Uh, that uh, it's called haze. You'll see it a lot, which is health at every size. Uh, and yeah, and or the dietitians will have non diet 
approach. Yeah. 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 Um, Anybody who knows anything about intuitive eating. um, Interestingly enough, some people also approach me about mindful eating. Depends on the practitioner you find, I would say. Yeah. (laughs) Can be a non-diet, health at every size, intuitive eating uh, dietitian or nutritionist, but does not have to be. There's a lot of curious diet messaging and mindful eating circles sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Could you just (laughs) touch like quickly, I know it's not a quick topic, but when you say intuitive eating, what do you mean? For some people out there, they don't, they might not even know what that means. Right. I mean, there's Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, right? And they wrote a book called Intuitive Eating and they basically train anyone who's interested in um, learning about, uh, well, you know, I guess as our grandparents would call, would have called it like just a way of eating. <laughs> but, <laughs> but now that we've been inundated with, you know, so many dieting messages, basically, they are willing to say that really trying to teach people again, how to, um, you know, not only connect with your internal hunger and fullness cues, but also take into considerations kind of what anxieties, what like, you know, public messaging, what kind of, um, uh, yeah what familial or relational like um patterns like influence our eating and kind of help us step back into you know eating on our own terms really so they have if you go to intuitiveeating.org um 10 principles listed the first one is reject the diet mentality i love it i feel like that's where it could end (laughs) just needs to be number one (laughs) exactly yeah exactly um you know uh so, I mean, I'm, I have nothing to do with them. I'm not affiliated. I'm not certified. Um, but if you're looking for people who, who have that qualification, like they're usually pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, where are some, like, what are some other resources that you really love that people who maybe are struggling a little bit or want to just dive into this world uh, a little bit more? Uh, where could they go? Yeah. I mean, one of the things, right, is like, hey, Instagram, social media, like ditch all the things that make you feel bad and start looking for things that make you feel good. And the health at every size and body positive community on Instagram is actually pretty cool. Um, yeah. So that's a good place to start. I know that both you, Amy, and I, we follow a bunch of those accounts. So if anybody is like looking to find people who subscribe to that uh, kind of way of thinking, uh, what's your Instagram handle? Amy Cape. Amy Cape Bow. Amy Capo, I thought so. I wasn't totally sure. Yeah. Um, and mine is at substance use counseling with two L's. And so if you go to the list of people that we follow, that's good. Um, in terms of shameless self-promotion, I have a couple of free webinars on my homepage with other industry experts. So there's really a wealth of knowledge there that you can just kind of sign up for and get delivered to your inbox. Um, one even is with Jennifer Rowland, who's really become kind of a rock star of the eating disorder community in her work. Um, we talk about eating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, you can find those under, I believe, substancecounseling.com slash webinars. Um, and then other good resources. I mean, truly for me, Instagram has been, has been so valuable. I mean, oh, obviously, I, I, how could I forget? Christy Harrison's Food Psych Podcast. Yeah. Number one, like, mind-blowing resource. If you've never done anything like it if all of this sounds a little bit suspicious if you're thinking how could I possibly eat like whatever I want and receive permission to you know (laughs) whatever like start with Christy Harrison's food psych podcast it's incredible yeah 
Yeah. He also wrote a book, I think, that recently came out called Non-Diet, Anti-Diet, sorry, Anti-Diet, um, which also people love. So. Yeah. <clears throat> Beautiful. Okay, I have a few questions to finish with. Sure. What are you curious about right now in your work? In my work, what am I curious about right now? Ha, huh, okay, interesting. So I am also at a, at a training school for psychodynamic psychotherapy. I'm at the end of my first year and I have to write a paper on something. And I think I'm going to write on uh, Heinz Kohut's um, kind of empathetic uh, feeding, basically, empathic modulation. Like, so basically he says that, you know, a lot of people's distorted or disordered relationship with food comes from an experience of not being empathetically fed. So let's say, you know, and this is my example, this is not his, but like if you have parents that always feed you at 9.30 because it's 9.30 and it's time for a snack, kind of irrespective of whether or not you're hungry at that time, you know, like whatever it may be, whether this is the portion size you're looking for, you know, um, how that really messes, messes you up in many ways. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> I'm going to... I'm going to write a paper on that, I think. So um, I, uh, yeah, my, my prof or teacher asked me to consider my own experiences for that. So yeah, I, I really love that. Um, that <laughs> and we're all doing the best that we can when we're yeah. like, when we're parenting. And, but that's a really big one is this intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I'm kind of curious around that because I have... I thought about writing that paper with a couple of kind of client cases in mind. Um, but then he was like, well, can you bring it back to your own experience? You know, I was like, Oh, here we go. <laughs> so I'll try to do that. So I'm curious how that's going to turn out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, little humans are so, uh, they're such intuitive eaters, mm -hmm. very in tune with their body and it's, if we let them. yeah, if we let them. And this yeah. is the thing, this is the thing. It's that, we as adults are so attached to time and then we have our own biases and worldviews now about what things should be like and shouldn't be like and not allowing a space like the space for a child just to be you know what no nah, i'm not hungry oh yeah i am hungry and i you know want to eat this and i don't want to eat that and yeah 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 uh, and you know i see it so often just a very quick like uh, another sentence you know where, where moms are like oh you know you've already had two cookies like that's enough for me like you don't need more cookies i'm like for you that's enough for you maybe it's not enough for the kid yeah right yeah. you have it so often like my three and a half year old you know she's like eating an ice cream and she's like i want another one i'm like okay here you go and then she eats it starts eating it you know and finishes after like three bites or whatever because she's just had enough and she had an opportunity to actually eat till the point of satisfaction, right? Yeah. I think yeah. it's so valuable. Yeah. It is really valuable. Yeah. Um, so if you were to write something on a billboard in Times Square that would be there forever, uh, what, uh, and everyone would see it, what would you write on it? Oh, man. People answer that in like 10 seconds. Let me think about this. <laughs> Um, probably about two things came to mind, to mind. Like one is actually a quote, um, that, um, I, I pulled out of one of my client sessions that I said to a client, which is independent doesn't mean alone, right? Like, 
so you can you can do something independently but you don't have to do it all by yourself so so that and the other one would really be like the the naomi i keep forgetting i keep mixing up naomi klein and naomi wolf which one is it with the political sedative like that dieting is really a political sedative um that keeps women just like politically dumb right yeah. because preoccupied with your body <laughs> and your looks that you actually can't engage in meaningful participation in society and that that's a way of really again oppressing women right so that like you know what all could you do if you didn't put your head in a toilet bowl right like yeah i speak often about this this obsession that we have with weight shape and size and dieting how much energy that actually yeah out of us yeah. Like it leaks out so much energy that yeah. what it's taking up so much space in our life. And if we weren't constantly obsessed and thinking about that, what could we actually do yeah. with our time? And what would be, what, what could we feel as well? <laughs> now I need to look up whether it was Naomi Klein or Naomi Wolf. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> get it right here. um and then there's just one uh one last question is there anything that i didn't ask but i should have or anything that we should have spoken about but we didn't Mm, i don't think so but you know i think like also when it comes to um substance use we didn't really touch a whole lot about like the drinking and the and the drug use in there right like but i think that a lot of it is also um is about like not really being in the moment and not really being with your body right so so to kind of see the opportunity to to be with your body and be in the moment as something that is really worthwhile working towards you know, yeah. it's a game changer. Like yeah. if you're thinking about doing that, you know, like quite likely it'll be so good for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's bloody hard though. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Right. Like it truly really is. It truly really is. Yeah. Um, like connect, reconnecting with the body and I call it taking the long way home instead yeah. of taking the shortcut. It's, it's hard. It's a hard, um, it's a hard journey, but it is probably one of the most rewarding, uh, life-changing journeys that you can go on because yeah. once you come back into the body and you build that trust with your own body, it is so powerful it's empowering and yeah yeah, there's just there's so much good shit there (laughs) definitely definitely and you can't unsee it right like that's the cool thing about it like if you've had a relationship with yourself and then you have it it'll be there forever yeah it's not going to go anywhere yeah Yeah. beautiful anina where can people find you well, substanceusecounseling.com and counseling has two L's because we're in Canada, substanceusecounseling.com <laughs> or at substanceusecounseling on Instagram where I really mostly use the stories. Like I don't do a whole ton of like static posts anymore, yeah. um, but whenever there's anything interesting, it's, it's on the stories. Somewhere on Facebook too, but yeah, substanceusecounseling.com would point you in all of these directions. There's also a newsletter that people like. Beautiful. And I will, um, 
uh, pop all of your information and then the resources or links that you spoke about in the podcast in the show notes. So people can, yeah, people can go in and uh, watch, go and watch. Yeah. The webinars on Anina's uh, site. They're super helpful. Um, And thank you so much. Thank you for showing up in this space for trying to create, yeah, create this change and to show, uh, women oh well everyone but women that there is a different way yeah uh, yeah that um brings them back into their body uh and unlocks so many cool things yes (laughs) thank you for having me oh you're um yeah you're so welcome thank you for being on the podcast (laughs) talk soon if you have any questions you can connect with me on instagram at amy kate bow I also write a daily blog. You can sign up on my website, amykatebow.com. Thank you for making the space to listen today. Remember, take the long way home. Bye for now.